The world says getting ahead is being the strongest, the fastest, the smartest, the best. It's survival of the fittest. It's dog eat dog. It's step on anybody you can to get ahead. But is that the way that God says life should be? In this podcast, in the series on eight steps to a new you, we're looking at step number three. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The meek, mind you, not the ones who can dominate, not the ones who can take over, not the ones who step on others, but the meek. Glad you've tuned in. This is Pastor Greg, and this is Life 66. We've looked so far at the first two steps in the Beatitudes out of Matthew chapter 5, those eight steps that Jesus taught us so that we could have a transformed life. And they've got to go in this order that we started out with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, because they realize there's nothing they can do to gain it. Then blessed are those who mourn. They mourn over being poor in spirit. They realize what they've done. They realize the condition they're in, and they grieve and they mourn. But therefore, they take action in the, in, the, in the action of repentance. They decide to say, God, you are God. You are the only one that can change me. You are the only one that can save me. And I decide to turn and to follow you. I'm going to leave my old life, turn 180 degrees, and now you're the one I'm going to follow. And they'll be comforted, the word says, uh, or Jesus taught. So what about this next one? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meekness follows being poor in the spirit and mourning. What does it mean to inherit the earth? Well, what do we think it means? When someone dies and leaves you their money and their things, you inherit their fortune or you inherit their, you know, um, their savings. You can only receive the inheritance of a person if the one uh, person who owns the inheritance names you in it. They've got to name you in the will. We somehow think we get to decide who, who inherits what is God's. We just make believe that the earth belongs to no one because there is no such thing as God. Then it's left to natural selection, survival of the fittest. God, let's arm wrestle for it. But what is the definition of the fittest? The strong is, is the most likely to have the qualities that fit the environment one is in. For instance, you know, people might be strong, maybe stronger than goldfish, but left in the water, the person will eventually drown where the goldfish can swim his little life away. He's stronger in the water because he's made for that environment. Well, what kind of environment is God's environment? It's not the environment where the strongest get, get ahead or the smartest or the best looking or the boldest or the most talented. No, God says it's the meek who inherit the earth. In God's environment, in God's way of living, that it's meekness that gets you ahead. Now, let's understand what this word meek means. It means gentle or humble. It doesn't mean cowardly, spineless, or frightened, timid, or even nice. Meek makes, makes us even appear weak sometimes, or insig- insignificant sometimes. It might make us appear fragile, or not in control of our own destiny. But meekness only appears that way. It, there could be nothing further from the truth as saying a meek person is weak or fragile. Meekness is actually the epitome of strength, because the strength is not in yourself. The strength is in the Lord. Bible says this, that his strength is made perfect in our weakness, that we maintain a strong life when we realize it's not our strength at all, or our strength rather got us in this problem in the first place of being poor in spirit, that we know it's God who's in control. We know it's God's power in us. We know it's God's uh, uh, just strength that's in us. Meek is the only one who can't be controlled by men 
because he's totally controlled by God. A meek person can't be swayed, can't be pushed, can't be forced to act. A meek person can't be manipulated and can't be leveraged. John Bunyan said, He that is down shall fear no fall. The meek is already poor in spirit and mourning, totally broken. So therefore, he's at the service of the master. Being poor in spirit elevates you by reducing you to the least. Mourning is comforted because we repent. Meekness gets us going now with a new fearless agenda. So what's a meek person like? Well, first of all, he has a contrite heart and a humble spirit. Isaiah 57, 15 says this, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who, is a, who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the, the heart of the contrite ones. He dwells in his holy place with the meek person because he inherits the earth. God joins with him and lives with him and abides with him, as John 15 says. Who does God dwell with? The one who inherits the earth. Who inherits the earth? The one with a contrite and humble spirit. Well, what does it mean to be contrite? It means to be broken. Like a horse is broken for its rider, under control of the master. It really means strength under control. Picture a war horse from back in the days when, when battles were fought on horseback. And there could be bombs bursting everywhere, bullets flying, swords clashing and thrashing. And the horse will not deviate from its course. When the master says, I want you to run through this fire or run through you know, this battle zone here, the horse will do it. Why? Because he's been broken. He puts aside every thought of his own safety and he goes where the master tells him to go. You can be very gifted, but not broken. And be unusable. If that horse is so strong and so fast, but isn't broken, the rider won't ride him because he won't obey. You can't ride a horse into battle when you're thinking of, will the horse obey? You've got to know that that horse is broken. Brokenness means the horse will not deviate from the direction of the master. That's what meekness is. You will not deviate from God's agenda. And that's strength. No matter what anybody says, no matter what anybody does to you, no matter what popular culture says, you look them right in the eye and you say, I am not going to get off course. I'm going to hold on to God and to his word. Well, this person is also humble. C.S. Lewis defines humility in the way that I think is perfect when he says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. When you're humble, you obey God no matter what. You're not thinking of yourself. You're only thinking of him. You don't think of the danger you're in. You don't think of failing or being a disappointment. You don't think what anybody else is thinking. You just stay the course. James says in chapter four, to humble yourself and submit to God, that he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. The proud person sets himself against God and against fellow Christians because his mind is on himself. He wants what he wants. He wants what he thinks is right. He hears God tell him to do something and his response is, yes, Lord, I know what you said, but I need to think it through first before I will obey. God can't use a person like that because he's unbroken. When you are humble and contrite, there are no thoughts of yourself and you are totally obedient to the command of the master. This is meekness, and this is the person who will inherit the earth. Absolute obedience is the evidence of a contrite and humble spirit. Number two, this person has the humility to recognize his own ignorance, weakness, and need. 
Maintaining the strong, meek life means you got to stay poor in spirit. You can't all of a sudden have a few victories where God does something great in you and start thinking, oh, that was pretty cool. I think I've got something going on here. And maybe I'll go write a book because of the miracle God did, or I'll go, you know, on the radio circuit. No, a meek person stays humble or stays poor in spirit all the time. Proverbs 16, 25 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, and in the end, it leads to death. We think we might know the way to go, but we don't. We think we might know what to do, but we don't. The fastest way to ruin your life is to think that you can do things different than the way God has laid out and still have the abundant life. Socrates, not necessarily a person who followed Christ, but or is before Christ, but said this, and it's wise, said, he who knows nothing yet thinks he knows something is a fool. He who knows nothing and knows he knows nothing knows something and is wise. That's powerful and that's true. And it aligns with Jesus's words. When you're poor in spirit, you know you know nothing. That's what makes you strong because you know God does know. And so when you're meek saying, I have no strength, I know I have no strength, but I know God does, then he becomes your strength. He's your source. He's your source of knowledge, of uh, understanding, of discernment, of integrity. He becomes your supply in everything. Number three, the meek person is always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. The strong life is maintained when you stand for God's agenda. Meekness can be confusing, and this is strength under control and doing the best for people out of love. And sometimes that love is hard. Sometimes love is confrontational and in your face. Ephesians 4.26 says, In your anger, do not sin. There's a difference between selfish anger and selfless anger. The meek will not be angry when it comes to issues of the self. But the meek will be angry often when it comes to issues of God or issues of injustice to others. There's a profit proper time for anger when it's selfless, like when Jesus cleansed the temple. In John chapter 2, it says he made cords and he drove them out of the temple. He was angry and he acted on it, but he was selfless in that and he wasn't angry uh, for something done to himself. We see that later when he's crucified and he did not even speak, but he sacrificed himself willingly. We should be angry at sin. We should do things to combat injustice. Yet those two sometimes are very, very difficult to, to, to separate. And we sometimes get angry for the wrong reasons and get angry at the wrong timing. I remember a story when I was with a missionary in a restaurant, and it was a restaurant where the waitresses did not dress very conservatively. And I got to admit, when I was trying to keep my eyes in the right place and not you know, let my mind slip off into lustful things, so I was more worried about me. And I was kind of getting a little frustrated thinking about my own temptation and my own battle. And the missionary finally piped up and, and said, you know, I just makes me so angry the way these you know, women dress. And I thought to myself, yeah, me too. I'm angry because they're causing me to be tempted. And then his eyes started to well up with tears. And he says, I feel so angry that the enemy has deceived them into thinking that they have to dress like that in order to get the attention in order to get bigger tips and make a living. I thought, oh my goodness, I am so, so shallow right now. I was thinking of myself. He was thinking of them. He was thinking of the poor state they were in. 
and how he wanted them to feel loved and to feel um, even profitable and to do their job without having to reveal themselves. And um, I I learned a big lesson that day about being angry at the right time for the right reasons. Number four, the meek person has every instinct, impulse, and passion under God's control. This is a strong life maintained under God's control. Before our submission was to self and, and, or to an authority or to a community, now our submission is to God. It's his agenda, his power, not my agenda or my power. It's the animal that's been domesticated. Picture in your mind the circus where there were the horses and elephants and lions and you know, all these amazing lethal animals still strong as ever, but yet obeying a human being that they could just, you know, gobble up and destroy in, in a moment if they had the will to do it, but yet they've been trained to yield to the master. It's that, that animal that's been brought under control, still strong, but under someone else's control. This is meekness. John 12, 49 to 50, speaking of Jesus, says this, For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. Whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. That's meekness. That's strength under God's control. You can't just conjure up meekness in God's control. Every natural instinct resists that. So the question for us are, is our natural instinct submitted to God? Is, our instinct, is, is it our instinct to have a quick tongue? or to speak when God directs us to speak? Is it our instinct to defend ourselves or to humble ourselves? Is it our natural impulse um, to strike back or to turn the other cheek? The passions of our lives, are they God's passions? Philippians 2, 6 says, Who in the very nature of God, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He wasn't looking for his own name to be spread or, his, or, or well, his own... Um, uh, just, just his, he wasn't looking for his ego to be to be puffed up. He was looking for the glory of the Father in everything that he did. The healthy view of self leaves no foothold for disappointment and failure. How can you break someone who's already been broken? You cannot fight someone who won't fight. You can't argue with someone who won't argue. You can't affect someone who won't react. That's a meek person. That's strength under control. Number five, he, this person is not disappointed. Sometimes disappointments happen. They suck the life right out of you. But if you have no agenda but God's, there's nothing to disappoint. Romans 5, 3 to 5 says, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts. You may maintain the strong life through the hope of God. He's given us a blessed hope. There's an eternity waiting for us that fills us with strength and we can hold on no matter what. God shows us what to anchor our soul onto, not with wishful thinking, but with a confident expectation. There's no drifting with this hope. You stay firm and rooted. Psalm 37.3 says, trust in the Lord and do good. Feed on his faithfulness. You can't just quote the promise. You must choose to believe that. Feed on his faithfulness. What happens when you feel disappointments with God? Well, it's because God took you in a different direction than what you planned. You had a plan, you had an idea, you had a direction, and God didn't go that way. 
So it creates disappointments. When we lose the feelings or the, the, the desire to have it our way, we also lose the disappointments too. Jesus, or God said in Proverbs 3, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. He will direct your path. He will direct it. You don't say that you can trust and lean and then direct your own path. No, it's on him. And last, the meek person is secure against the lure of success. Philippians 3, 7 and 9, Paul writes, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Successes don't even derail the meek person because you know those successes aren't your successes. Sometimes when you have success, that's the, that's the, the, the door that opens into failure. But Paul was speaking about his successes when he said, I count those things as rubbish. Now, the Greek word for rubbish means poop. You know, not to be gross or anything, but that's what it means. It means poop. I got to tell you that as soon as I use the restroom... I don't still think about it. It goes out of my mind. I've forgotten it. I've counted that stuff as rubbish. It's gone. And Paul said that about his successes. They're gone. They're over because they weren't my successes. Anything that I have uh, attained is because of Christ and it's because of his strength. That's the meek person. Here's what he writes in Philippians 3, 12 to 14. Not that I have already attained or already been perfected, but I press on that I might lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not consider myself to be to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In order to press on, or period, in order to press on, we have to press in. That says there's resistance to the self, and we need to submit to Christ in everything. You know, it's fascinating. In Paul's journey, when he was a young man, in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he calls himself the least of the apostles. A few years later, he's grown a little bit. In Ephesians 3, he calls himself not the least of the apostles, but the least of the saints. And then in 1 Timothy 1, 15, just before his death, he calls himself the greatest of sinners. You can see the progress of meekness, Paul becoming less and Christ becoming more. Let's wrap this up. If you paraphrase the verse, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. It might be uh, easy to paraphrase it this way. Now that you have realized that God is so big and you can't impress him and you are now comforted after mournfully repented, you are launched into life on a mission, but not with your own agenda. That's meekness. And this person is the one who will live with Christ forever because he is the one named in the Lamb's Book of Life as an heir, a joint heir with Jesus. Let's learn how to be meek by turning our will over to Christ each and every day. Take up our cross daily and follow him. This is Life 66. Hope this has helped you. God bless you.